My name is Ivan, and this is how I GOC. I'm involved in GOC this year, and uh, I've had to overcome a lot of fears, but uh, it's been awesome. And uh, so far, I've invited my parents, a lot of my coworkers, uh, a bunch of my friends, tell them all of the exciting things and crazy things and serious things they're gonna see at GOC this year. Wow, we've had a crazy week, haven't we? Unbelievable week. Crazy. Some of you are clapping, some of you are crying, some of you are on drugs. Uh, but with, with all that's happened, and with all the changes, and with all the unknown, aren't you glad there is something that we can always know? And that is this truth. God is in control. He really is. And, and I want you to think about it. He was in control during the reign of the world's worst leaders. And there have been some bad ones down throughout history. I mean, bad ones like Nero. Ever hear of him? A Roman emperor who was a madman. I mean, a crazy man. This is a guy who burnt Rome for his own entertainment and blamed the Christians so that he could entertain himself more by having them killed. And he used Christians as the fuel for the torches that lighted his gardens. I don't think times have gotten that bad yet. And God was in control. And we are still here. He was in control during the reign of those who were considered to be the greatest of leaders, like David, in the good times and the bad times. And so whatever you consider this season of leadership to be in our country, let me just remind you, the same God is on the throne, and he is in control today as in every day. So here's what we need to do. We need to just step into the unknown by trusting him. And in trusting him, we need to do what he's told us to do to pray for our leaders. And so I think that would be a great way to start this weekend. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much that the world has gone through the course of time with good leaders and bad leaders. 
And some of the bad leaders, the worst of leaders, and even the greatest of leaders doing things that were far from good. And yet, you, because you're the God who's in control, have still been able to put the boundaries on the choices of human leaders and keep history flowing in a way that still brings about the perfection of your will completed. And so, we do pray for our leaders, those who are leading now and those who will be leading, and we pray for our nation that you would guide us, pour out your wisdom, and show yourself strong, and help us still to be a reflection of the light of Jesus, and to remember that whether it's dark times or light times, the light comes from Jesus shining through us, and may we shine brightly in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, I, I didn't really plan this, uh, but we have been in a series on hope, and it appears to me that that's a really good series to be in uh, these days. And so it's out of the book of Acts, and it's called chapter 29. And if you've missed some of these, every single one of them deals with hope from a different angle. And it's about how no matter what's going on in the world or what's going on in our lives, who we've been or who we are today, God can still write a new chapter, a new story in our lives that allows us to experience his best in us. And this weekend is no different. I'm looking at the idea of going in hope. But I'm going to do it differently. Even though the series is coming out of the book of Acts, I, I want you to know that all of the stories in the scripture kind of balance each other out. And I recalled this story. It's a pretty obscure story. It's not one that most of you have probably heard or remember. You probably weren't taught it if you were raised in a church setting. But it is an Old Testament story. And I think it beautifully pictures what we're going to talk about this weekend. Because it's, it's an amazing story of hope found and hope shared. Of hope found and experienced and and then that beautiful experience of hope shared with others. And I showed you where it can be found, and I hope you'll read it on your own. Second Kings chapter 6, the latter part, and then chapter 7. It's, a, it's just a fascinating story. But I, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read it to you. I'm going to kind of share the ideas of it with you, okay? And then you'll see, I hope, if I do my job, how it works together in talking about our lives these days. The northern kingdom of Israel, God's people, um, had kind of split. Divisions have always abounded among human beings, and God's people, Israel, had split into two kingdoms, the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. And the northern kingdom of Israel tended to be the, the kingdom that followed God least, that, that were led by even more evil kings than the southern kingdom at times, and they were in unbelievable trouble. They were in... A hopeless situation, really. Their capital city, Samaria, was surrounded by a massive army that had cut them off from everything. And back then, what they would do is they would encircle these cities and lay siege. And no supplies could get in, and no one could get out to get supplies. And these people would ultimately starve to death. And you wouldn't even have to sling an arrow. I mean, you could just destroy a city if you were strong enough to lay siege this way. And that's what was going on. They were surrounded by a massive army with all of the supplies that army would need to, to stay there for years. And they had nothing in Samaria. The king was there. It was the center of this kingdom, and they were going to fall. 
As a result of what they were experiencing, they, they really encountered times of unthinkable economic persecution and trouble. They, I mean, it was, it was impoverished. I mean, they, the Bible even tells us that a donkey's head, and I don't know if you know this or not, some of you might have obscure nutritional desires and tastes, but, but most people don't eat donkey's heads. That's not the most edible thing, it's not that nutritional, it's not um, that abundant with food supply, and yet a donkey's head back then would sell for two pounds of silver, that any form of nutrition was that precious. They were so desperate, so desperate that the Bible tells us that for survival, and you'll have to forgive me, I'm just going to soften it as much as I can with telling you the truth, the Bible tells us that two mothers to survive conspired with each other to offer one of their offspring to eat in order to survive. It's beyond comprehension how desperate they were. It, it, it was in this circumstance that God made a crazy promise of hope. You know, this God who's really in control even when it seems like, like no one could be in control, that God. And he made this crazy promise of hope. He made the promise through a prophet that you may have heard of or not, Elisha. He followed Elijah the great prophet. And, and through Elisha, God promised that in a matter of 24 hours, this, this people would go from so impoverished that mothers were actually willing to do that atrocity I already mentioned, to being so abundantly sourced with food that you could buy the best of food for next to nothing. I mean, it was... How could... That's impossible. In 24 hours from no food to an abundance of food, there was no way they could see that coming humanly. Nothing could have done that. And of course, though no one believed it, God's promise came true. And can I just say this? God's promises are always true. It doesn't matter if you believe it. It doesn't matter if you scorn it. It it's always true that God keeps his promises. Even now, in the midst of our present circumstances, God is present and God is working and God is in control. It is so sad that so many people surrender to fear and frustration and anger and desperation when God is in control and he has promised hope. We just need to trust him because he knows what he's doing. In this story back then, God created a circumstance that that no one could have foreseen that opened up this abundance of food for the city who had no food. It, he, he, he did some kind of miraculous thing. The Bible doesn't even tell us what, but he, he made this huge army feel like they were being attacked. And it was so sudden and it was so large that in panic, they just left. They left. They left everything. They're tense. They're supplies which were able to supply them for a long time all right there and they just took off and everything God's people needed to live abundantly was right there with no one protecting it all they had to do is walk in and get it and yet think about this no one in Samaria knew it all of the supplies they needed all of the food they needed all of the abundance of provision that God had promised were right there and and they were still starving, and they were still desperate, and they were still living in fear. And 
It's just like today because all of God's promises available to all of us at all times and so often because we don't trust, we don't know it. And that's where they were. Hope was alive. God had provided. But they were still living in despair. And this is where the story gets fun, actually, as if the other parts weren't fun. There were four lepers. Now, we don't know much of lepers today, but leprosy was a horrific disease back then and one that could be transmitted. And so when someone got leprosy, which was a skin disease that would ultimately, you know, I mean, you would lose limbs and ultimately your life, they, they would ostracize lepers from the community because you don't want anyone in the regular community to catch it. And so they were ostracized. And there were four lepers, totally ostracized from the community. So if the community was in despair, imagine these lepers who were ostracized from the community in total despair. But they are the ones that God gave the privilege to in order to discover this treasure. These four lepers discovered the supplies and the abundance and the provision of God. And in the story, it's just amazing. They just one day said, we might as well go over there. They might kill us, but we're going to die anyway. And they, they walked into this thing. They went, oh my gosh. I mean, an abundance that could take care of a city for a long time. And it was all theirs. And they did what human beings do. I won the lottery, right? I mean, woohoo! They threw a celebration and they just started to just gorge themselves and satisfy their own needs. And they started stockpiling for themselves and thinking about how they could hoard this for their entire future. They were focused on their good fortune, celebrating for themselves. And, and they weren't sharing it with anyone. Look at what we've got. The whole nation basically starving. The city of Samaria and the king just almost ready to die. And they're celebrating and not sharing this hope. They were holding on to it and hiding it. But the neat thing about the story is in the end, these, these lepers who had been so maltreated, who had been rejected and forsaken and ostracized, who had been set aside for the good of the masses, they had no one who cared about them and no one who valued them enough to embrace them and provide for them. Now, when they found this unbelievable hope, they woke up to their responsibility. They realized that sharing the hope with others didn't diminish their hope at all. They said, we, we can't eat this in 10 lifetimes. Why wouldn't we share it? And then we have hope, and they have hope, and, and together we have better lives. They, they realized there was enough for everyone. And they realized that their lives would actually be better by sharing the hope rather than sitting on it and experiencing the guilt and shame of that. And so that's exactly what they did. They, they shared the hope. God gave them the privilege of going into their city and, and telling them about this abundance of supply, that, there, that God had fulfilled his promise, that there was a hope that could change their lives. And it did. It changed the entire city's lives. But how did they find it? A couple of lepers who had been hopeless and in despair found the hope and then they shared it. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, that's like a great story. I mean, it's a great story. But I don't want you to miss its relevance to us. Because here's the reality that I think we need to understand, and this is what the book of Acts shows us all the way through, actually. Their world is our world, right? Most people in our world have no hope, just like those people in that world. I mean, we have to understand this. 
I mean, all around us, people with no hope, desperate for love and desperate for truth and desperate for comfort and desperate for security and desperate for some kind of significance in their life. They want peace and they want contentment and they're just raging with desperation because they have no one to turn to, no one to look to, just like the people in the city back then. God even tells us in Ephesians 2.12 that when we're separated from Christ, before we can know Christ and and his forgiveness that allows us to be back in relationship with the God who gives us hope. We, we are in the world, but we are without hope in the world. And that's exactly where most people are all around us, desperate, just desperate. Oh, not desperate for a donkey's head for two pounds of silver, but desperate for something far greater than food. Desperate for their soul. Desperate to find meaning. Desperate to find something in this life to hang on to. And what we need to understand is like in that day, with that story, God has also promised everyone in this world hope. God has promised hope. He, he has. It's been his great promise since the very beginning as human beings kept walking away from his hope and destroying their lives and doing all kinds of destructive things. God promised hope just like he promised to Samaria. You'll have an abundance of food. Things will turn around. And no one believed him. And the same is true with this. God promised hope for humanity, but the masses don't believe it. Just look back a little bit. In Isaiah chapter 1 and 7 and 53, I'll quote three verses. God says, come now, let us settle the matter. Though your sins are like scarlet, I mean really bad, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, I mean they've stained you to the place of permanence. They shall be like wool. Jumping to 714, the Lord himself will give you a sign, the the virgin, this miracle thing will happen. This virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him God with us. You see, the problem with hopelessness is God away from us. All those living, us, living in fear today and insecurity and anger and darkness today, it's because they're not living in the view of God with them. They're living in view of life without God, and that's where hopelessness comes. But, but this miracle of Jesus being born through the Virgin Mary that was prophesied 700 years before it happened would allow God to be with us again, Emmanuel. That's what it means. And then jumping to chapter 53, verse 6, why did he come? We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What I want you to see is that the story of Christmas and Easter, the story of Jesus coming into this world and being God with us, living this life of perfection and then dying was God's promise so that our sin, which was worthy of death, could be put on him on that cross and then, and then when he rose again to new life, we could be given new life. And what he was saying was, you are living in a world of absolute and profound darkness, of absolute insecurity, of absolute meaninglessness. You're living in a world created for worth, but living as worthless. But I promise you that I'm sending hope, and his name is Jesus. He promised hope to all those without hope. It's the same thing as the story about Samaria. It's the same exact thing, and it goes further. God provided the hope, because God always fulfills his promises. If, if, if every single one of us could get a hold of this fact, God has promised hope, 
and God always fulfills his promises, why would we ever fear? Why would we ever doubt? Why would we ever be troubled? Why would we ever allow despair to take over when joy should be at the center no matter what's going on? Because God provides hope, fulfills his promise. John 3.16 is the great verse. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Was it a surprise? No, it was in fulfillment of his promise. And he gave his son for what reason? That whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life, would no longer live a life of devastation and tragedy and meaninglessness and worthlessness and insignificance, no longer live for the temporary and have nothing else but instead have life and life to the full, eternal life. God provided hope because it's what he promised. But what we have to understand to really get the relevance of that story to us is that like those four lepers who discovered the, the hope of the abundant supply of God's promise, so God's people today, those of us who know Jesus today, who know his hope today, once outcast ourselves, have been given this unbelievable privilege to discover his hope. It's an unbelievable thing. I mean, imagine, I, I read that story of those four lepers who, who lived such lives of despair and desperation, and I think of them walking into that, that city of abundance, the lottery, and I, I just think of the unbelievable joy and the unbelievable relief and the unbelievable celebration, and then I realize that they're me and I'm them. I, I've... I've walked into that moment, I've walked into that promise, I've walked into that discovery where I went from hopeless to hope, from nothing to something because of God's promise. Colossians 1.27 says it to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles. The Gentiles were those who didn't know God. They, they were far away from God. They were the outcasts of the world. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this unbelievable mystery. And what's the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Outcasts like us being able to walk into the hope of God's glory, not just into it, but him in us, filled with his glory. In a world of darkness, we're still filled with his light. In a world of desperation, we're still filled with his provision. In a world of hopelessness, what are we filled with? Hope when we know Jesus. Christ in me, the hope of glory. This is unbelievable hope that I've been given. And I tell you, God wants us to bask in it and to, and to enjoy it, to experience the lavish nature of it. So many Christians, it's just so sad, so many Christians are so sour and so without joy. I mean, listen to the music. Do you know most Christian music is funeral music? <laughs> I... The people who should be celebrating in this world with the most happy music are the people who know the hope because we don't have to pretend it's for real in us. And we've got this hope. It's a beautiful thing. And the, the lepers drank in their good fortune. They, they, they experienced satisfaction with it. They joy of it, the contentment of it, the fulfillment. I mean, they were like rolling around. And I mean, it's like, yeah. And you know, God wants us to do this. One of my favorite verses about this is 1 John 3, 1, and it just, it helps me to keep remembering what a privilege I've, I have to be in the hope of Jesus. It says that, 
that God has, has given us this unbelievable, lavish privilege of being called the children of God. We, we've, been, we've been adopted into the family of God. It doesn't get much better than that. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. And it, I mean, we get to enjoy the lavishness of God's treasure in our lives. He, and he wants us to experience joy and, and to display it and satisfaction and to, to display it and contentment and fulfillment. He, he doesn't want us to be living in despair and sadness as if today's events change anything about who we are. I don't know who you are. I live in America, but I'm a child of God. That's a whole different thing. I live in America, but I'm a citizen of heaven, and that's got nothing to do with me. It's got everything to do with Jesus. Now that's hope. I don't live in Samaria under siege. I now live in the abundant provision of God's promise, and he gave me that hope. Why in the world would I live in darkness when I can live in that light? Seriously, this is crazy. And I just want to encourage you. I, I'm... In good times and bad times, I watch believers, and so often, we don't live attractive lives. It's like we're going, you need Jesus. <laughs> it's like we're Eeyore. <laughs> Who, you know, Eeyore wouldn't convince me to follow him anywhere. Come with me, your life will be awful. We, we, we are supposed to be Winnie the Pooh. There's got to be honey in there somewhere, you know? We're children of God. We have hope. We should live like it. Look at, let the world that doesn't know God's hope be in despair. Let us be celebrating every day of our lives because we know Jesus. This is big. But, but, here's, but here's the truth that I, that I want you to see from it because with this unbelievable discovery like with the lepers, we have an unbelievable responsibility. Because you see, once experienced, hope must be shared. Once experienced, hope has to be shared. And by the way, you can't share hope if you're living in hopelessness, and you can't share hope if you're living in fear, and you can't share hope if you're living in insecurity, and you can't share hope if you have no joy. No one will buy it. But once experienced, this hope must be shared, and that's exactly what the book of Acts is about. It got, every time I went through it, I, what are these people doing? What are they doing? Because life didn't go well for them. A lot of them got killed and persecuted and destroyed, and at the very least, they got displaced from their homes. At the very most, they lost their lives entirely. And yet they kept sharing and sharing and sharing. What is, what's going on? Then I realized, oh, their hope wasn't found in life's circumstances, their hope was found in Jesus in them because Christ in them was the hope of glory. And once you experience the overflowing hope of Jesus in you, you have to share it. And that's what they did. And that's exactly what Jesus told them they should do. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And, and by the way, this is supposed to be our story in chapter 29 as we live out a life of faith. He said in Acts 1, 8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my storytellers. You'll share my hope. You'll be my witnesses 
wherever you are, in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And all you have to do is know what he said. Yeah, he, you're going to be hated by this world. You're going to be persecuted. Why did they leave Jerusalem and go to Judea and Samaria? They were persecuted out. And why did they leave Judea and Samaria and go to the uttermost parts of the earth? Because they kept getting persecuted out. Life wasn't going well, but hope was in them. And they saw it as a treasure to share. And they just kept sharing it and kept sharing it. Once experienced, hope must be shared. And Paul even says it straight up in Romans 10. Look at verses 13 and 14. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be like those lepers walking into that place of abundance and go, oh my gosh, this is life. And it says, but then, how can they call on the one they have not believed in? It's true, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord gets this hope, but, but how can they call on the one that have not, they've not believed in? How, how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard, and how can they hear without someone proclaiming it to them? And it takes me back to this story. It's like, here these lepers were enjoying this abundant provision of God's promise. And, and how would anybody in Samaria ever get to this abundance if no one told them about it? If those lepers hadn't told them about it, they could have all starved to death with hope being right there. And they would have never known because no one told them. But the great news about that story is that the lepers finally went and told them. They shared the hope. And that's what has to happen today. So let me ask you a question. How wrong would it have been for those four lepers not to have shared the hope of God's promise fulfilled? How wrong would it have been? Very wrong, right? I mean, I, I, I literally wrote, unforgivably wrong. They would have been the worst of humanity had they not shared it. Would have been a demonstration of the worst kind of selfishness. And you'd agree with me on this, right? Well, wouldn't it be the same? Wouldn't it be even worse for people to discover the hope that God has promised in Jesus and not to share it? And yet, isn't that what's happening today? We're living in our little isolated circles of hope. And when we go into their world of hopelessness, we're afraid to say anything because they might not like us. Because we might lose something. But see, how can those who have everything lose anything? How can those have the hope of Jesus be afraid of what people can take from them? It's because we don't realize the hope that we have. We, we need to understand that the only way that the people of Samaria discovered the hope that God provided was because these four lepers shared it. And the same is going to be true in our world with the hope of Jesus. The only way our world is going to discover God's hope is if people like us share it. And this is what the book of Acts is about. This is what chapters 1 through 28 are about. And if chapter 29 is going to be a great chapter, it's what we have to be about. Look at the example of the first followers of Christ. Just in one little small section of Acts, Acts chapter 4. In verses 12 and 20, a couple of the first followers of Christ said, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. I mean, you... He's saying, you, 
you want to find hope, then you've got to go to the one who fulfilled what God promised. Okay, can you imagine the lepers coming to the king of, in Samaria, the king of northern Israel, and, and saying, hey, all you have to do is like walk out the gate, take a right at North Street, take a left at 42nd, <laughs> and you got all the food you want. Can you imagine the king saying, nope. I think I need to go, you know, south on Alley Street. I don't know what, you know, I'm not, I could go on forever giving you, you know, Google Maps. But here's the thing. The king had to go to where the promise was. Or the king and the people would have never experienced provision. Too many people today want hope on their terms. You don't get hope on your terms. You get hope on God's terms. And his term is this. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you go to him, you find hope. That's where it's found. And they said it. Jesus is the only one. And then look what they said in Acts 4.20. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. I read the lepers all over there. They couldn't help. They, they were sitting in that city of abundance and they, and they said, we, we've got to tell people. We have to tell them. We have to tell them there are kids starving for hope over there. There are people, people are, our city is dying. We, we've got to tell them. And that's exactly what these early followers of Christ did. They go, we found hope. We, we can't help but speaking about it. But they might kill us, but we can't help speaking about it. But it might not go well for us, but we can't help speaking about it. Because you remember what the truth was, right? Once experienced, hope must be. I'll tell you why this world has so little hope. It's because so few people are sharing the hope. That's what we're supposed to be. So let me give you this application. Once we've genuinely experienced hope, I mean, once we've really and genuinely experienced hope, we need to share it. And I'm going to give you a couple of ways. We, we need to share it through our lives in how we live. Would you believe, if the lepers came to the city and said, oh, you know, life's miserable. Oh, by the way, there's some food down the street. They, people would have gone, you're idiots. You're delusional. They didn't. They came dancing, and jumped. They had jewelry all over. They were going, look, they were eating hot dogs. Nathan's, I think. I mean, they were, they were, they were living large, extra large with cheese in the crust. They were living it high. And people went, these people got something. I want what they got. When was the last time someone looked at you and said, I want what you have? On Wednesday after the election, did people go, I want what they have? And I think we have to be careful on both sides of this. The Messiah has not come but Jesus, the Messiah, is still Lord. And we need to put our faith in him. He's the one we need to look to. And that's exactly the hope we need to share through our lives. Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. And as a result of your life, glorify your Father in heaven. I want what they have. 1 Peter 2, 12, live such good lives among the pagans, those who don't know God yet, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, I mean, they think you're the, the dredge of society, that ultimately, because of the life you live, they'll see your good life and they'll want to glorify God themselves on the day he visits. In other words, your life will transform them. We need to share the hope through our lives. Can people see the hope in you? 
And then we need to share the hope through our words. And this is where people, I mean, I don't know why you have such gastric problems with this. I don't know why Rolades and Tums become, you know, gotta talk, gotta talk. There's not one of us, no matter how shy and introverted, who experiences something profoundly great, who doesn't with enthusiasm and passion tell the story. The only question is, do we really believe that Jesus is a story worth telling? 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Live Christ as Lord. Live the hope. And people will ask you, what's going on with you? So always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. It's like these four lepers. You know, Why are you dancing? Because, because of the city. What's all over your chin? Pizza. <laughs> they had to tell them. Where is it? Over there. <laughs> so here's the conclusion. And these are challenging questions. Have you experienced hope? Aren't you, aren't you tired of saying yes when you're not experiencing it? I mean, have you really experienced hope? where your hope is real no matter what hopeless things are going on in your life. If you haven't, then look at John 1.12. To all who did receive him, all you have to do is receive him. To those who put their trust in his name, you don't have to earn it and work it. You don't have to go through a religious system and rituals and rules. You can't work for it. But to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, to live in the treasure of that relationship. And all you have to do is receive him by faith. And so before we take just the last little thought in this talk and finish the weekend. I'm gonna ask if you'd bow with me in a word of prayer for just a minute. For those of you who are already believers, I'm just, I'm just begging you please to open your heart to Jesus again. He's knocking, I know he is, and let him be your treasure. Let him be your source of hope and security. Let his power overcome your fear or whatever it is you're dealing with and live in that hope. And if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus, won't you pray with me now? Just take my words and make them your words to God quietly in your heart. Just say, Jesus, I, I need your hope in me. I, I know I've sinned against you. I'm guilty. I've, I don't deserve you. But you love me. You died on the cross to forgive me. And you rose again to give me new life. And so in this moment, I'm giving you my sin. And by faith, I'm receiving your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you just prayed with me just before I finish this talk, I, I, please let us know. And I want you to know this isn't an adventure in marketing in this moment. This is an adventure of we want to help you grow in your relationship with God. And the only way we know how to do it is by connecting. And so if you prayed with me, we give you these programs in our services, and there's this connection card on the inside. You just rip it off. Fill it out, and on the bottom, there are a couple of questions you can answer that identify where you're at, and then put the card in the boxes that are at every exit in all of our campus settings. So you at Northridge Grosseal, Northridge Saline, Northridge Brighton, boxes right outside your campus, just like those of us here at Northridge Plymouth, and, and just put it in there, and we'll send you a letter about next steps. And if you're watching online, just hit the 
the what next button on your tablet or computer and we'll do the same thing for you electronically. But here's what I want you to see. When you have experienced this hope, and listen please, you have nothing to fear. Nothing. You, when you've experienced this hope, you know that no matter what's happening in the world around you, God is in control. You, you know that no matter how bad it gets, in the end, God is in control. You can know that no matter how much is unknown, God knows the unknown and knows how to lead through it. You can know that though there's a lot of fear in our world these days, you don't have to embrace that fear. It might make sense to fear if you're a person who doesn't know the hope of Jesus because you have no assurance of the future without Jesus. You, you have no promise of the presence of God. You, you have no capacity for inside peace because only God can do that. But those of us who know Jesus and his hope, shouldn't we be walking in it? In good times and bad? And then shouldn't we be sharing it? In good times and in bad. And so my last question is this. Are you sharing it? Are you sharing it? Acts 20, 24, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. And what's the great work that's been assigned to us? The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Now listen, this is really important. The four lepers had one job once they discovered hope, just one job, and that was to tell others about that hope. If they had failed, they would have been pitiful, but they didn't fail. We have just one job, those of us who've discovered this hope, and that's to share it with our world, and imagine how our world will change when we do it, we might just be that city of light on a hill. That's what it means to go on hope. I'm so glad you're here. We'll see you next time.